Okay, so let's finish up our lesson on explanation points. Um, so we used Matthew 4 as an example. Um, let's, let's get into next methods of explanation. So how do we, what are some ways that we explain or some methods of explanation? And again, I get this from, from Dr. Chapel. He has an excellent book on this, but he gives five ways that we explain. And I want to use as an example for this Ephesians 3, it's 17. Yeah. It's a, it's a little clearer in the original, but this phrase, you are rooted and grounded in love. You, you could say who are rooted and grounded in love or you are rooted and grounded in love, okay? You are rooted and grounded in love. So he gives five different ways, five different examples of explanation. So first is we can repeat, we can simply repeat, right? We can simply repeat, and you can use more than one of these methods when you do explain, um, but simply repeating what's in the text, especially if the text is simple. So this isn't as good an example, but especially like in James's sermon from 1 John 4, um, when it says that God is love, I mean, you can, you can simply start by saying God is love or the person who does not love does not know God. You can simply say what this means is if we are not loving people, it demonstrates that we do not know God. I'm just saying what the text says, but just saying it again, um, can often help in explanation. So that's the simplest one. We simply re we repeat what's in the text. Um, Number two is we can restate what's in the text. So we can say it in a different way. So if we're using rooted and grounded in love, the, the picture there, Paul is using two pictures. He's using rooted, which is like a plant, grounded. Uh, you could say it's he laid the foundation. It's like a building. So if we wanted to restate it, we could say that Christ made us secure in love. That's the picture. He made us secure in love. So I'm, I'm saying the same. I'm saying what's in the text. I'm just saying it a little bit of a different way. I'm summarizing it. Okay. Instead of saying he rooted us and grounded us in love, I can just say, I, I could, I could start by saying maybe I could repeat it. Christ took us and rooted us in his love. He took us and grounded us in his love. And then I can now let me restate it. What this means is he has secured us in his love. We are rooted like a plant is rooted into the ground. We are grounded like the foundation of a building. See, I'm, again, I'm just saying this, the same thing the text says. I'm just restating it in a different way. Um, next, we can define or describe, and this is close to illustration. Um, but if we're doing this to rooted and grounded in love, I could say it's it's like a plant in a building. He sunk our roots deep into his love. He set the firm foundation of his love. The roots sink deep. The foundation is secure. See, I'm defining, I'm describing. So a lot of this is just different ways. We're just finding ways to say what's already in the text and saying it in a way that's, that's helpful. It helps people understand it. Next is, is nuance, I'm nuancing. So it's, it's often theological. So nuance means 
Now, what I'm not saying is, that's what I say. I say what I am saying by clarifying what I'm not saying. So I'm doing that for, for this phrase of you are rooted and grounded in love. I could say, I, if I repeat it, right? So if I repeat it, we are rooted in Christ's love. We are grounded in Christ's love. It's like the roots of a tree that go deep into the soil. Now let me nuance it. So what, what Paul is not saying here is that Jesus would, he's not praying that Jesus would love us more, that we would find ourselves to be rooted in his love, that we would find ourselves to be grounded in his love. No, he's, he's praying because we are rooted in his love, because we are grounded in his love. So I'm saying, I, I'm clarifying. I want to make sure you don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying this. I'm saying something completely different than that. And then lastly, we can, we can argue. We can argue. So th this, this can often be done from the, um, from the original, from commentaries, things like that. So if I repeated it, I restated it, maybe I nuanced it, I could say, now, this is, this is clear in the English. This is me arguing. This is clear in the English, but it's even more clear in the original that this is a description of who we are. This is Paul writes in the perfect tense here. It's a passive, it's a passive tense verb that he's using, the passive tense participle. What that means is he rooted us. He grounded us in his love. So you see, I'm, I'm, these are just different mechanics you can use to explain different methods, right? And you can kind of think through them. A lot of them are kind of uh, self-explanatory as you use them, but it's good to have a list and ask, you know, especially as you're beginning, what do I need to do here? And are, are there ways I can use all five, right? Sometimes it's very powerful to repeat it, say it a different way. Um, let me, let me define it. Now let me make sure you I want to clarify. I'm not saying this. I'm actually saying this. Let's dive deeper. Let me argue for a specific point. You can use all five. I wouldn't necessarily suggest it all the time, but you can at least employ more than one, I think. What Paul, that... Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, what Paul does when he speaks of, uh, uh, so the, does the, uh, so, so the more grace should abound, should we sin more? That kind of rhetorical question. Would you categorize that on the mm -hmm. or nuance? Yeah, I think that would be like nuance, right? Should we continue in sin, right? Right. So it's it's anticipating an objection. So is what I'm saying because there's so much grace? Does that mean we should all sin? No, that's not what I'm saying. Let me clarify. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm actually saying that grace motivates us to not sin. So that's, that's nuancing. Good, good example. So let's, um, let's look quickly at, at Matthew 4 again. And look at 11, or 4, 8 through 11. So if we wanted to repeat this, or especially verse, yeah, through verse, uh, through verse 10. And my proposition once again is it's because Christ overcame temptation, he is the only sure hope in our overcoming temptation. So then if I, I read this text in a narrative, for a narrative, I can say, 
Do you see, this is, this is repeating, let me repeat. Do you see here that Christ overcame temptation? That's all I'm doing, I'm just saying. Do you see Christ overcame temptation? Uh, let me restate it. Okay. He never gave in. He was steadfast. He was resolute. He did not give in to the devil. I'm just saying the same thing, just in different ways, in different angles. He never said yes to temptation. He was resolute in temptation. He trusted in God in temptation, and he stood firm. He stood fast, and sin had no dominion over him. Okay. I'm just saying the same thing. I'm just saying it in a few different ways. Uh, if I'm defining or describing, I might, I might, I might describe the, I might, I might say it like this. We didn't describe the temptation moment and why, why Christ is our refuge. You see that this is, he, he resisted temptation despite the rising intensity of the temptation. Do you see he was now on top of the mountain despite the rising intensity? He did not succumb to temptation. Despite repeated temptation, he did not succumb to temptation. Despite hunger, despite being offered the easy path, despite being offered the way out, he did not succumb to temptation. You see, I'm, again, I'm, I'm explaining. I'm explaining the text, but I'm doing it in a way that's describing more of what's going on, looking at it from a few different angles. So to nuance it, um, to nuance it, I think, I think we could say, I want to be clear. When I say that Christ was tempted, it's not that he had unholy desires like us. No, in his temptation, his affections never wavered. He did not cease to be God who cannot be tempted with sin. Right? And uh, just to clarify and make a theological statement about the divinity of Christ. And then if I want to argue, maybe if I want to offer argue the rising temptation or the rising intensity of the temptation, I can say this. Look at the geography. Do you see this? He starts in the wilderness. Then he goes to the, the pinnacle of the temple. And then he goes to the highest point of all, the mountain, the same, uh, the same kind of mountain that he would be at in, at the end of Matthew's gospel when he said, I have been given authority over everything. That is where he was. And he was offered the easy path out, and he did not succumb. So now I'm arguing from multiple angles, from multiple texts to explain the text. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, Faisal. Uh, Josh, uh, where do we uh, state our proposition? Like in explanation? Yeah. In explanation? Is it like, is it good to, to uh, state our proposition in explanation? Uh, I, was, I, was, I was listening to uh, H.P. H. B. Charles' sermon that you gave us. Mm -hmm. And he, to stress his uh, proposition, I think, it, it, do you think it's good? Yeah, I, I, it can be. What you don't want to, what you don't want to feel artificial to people. That's the, the biggest problem with some of these formal methods is if it feels artificial, and especially if you have a long um, proposition. Now, now, usually when you're explaining, 
you're not explaining your proposition, you're explaining your main points and your main points argue for the proposition, right? So, so, so usually I, you can, you certainly can. Um, usually you can do in, in your introduction, you say your proposition, then you say your interrogative. So intro, prop, interrogative, body, and then you can do your prop as a transition, you prop and then main point one. And then you can do prop main point two. And then you can do prop main point three. And then end with your conclusion and say your prop again. I think, I think, it, I think this is a helpful way of doing it. Now, what you don't want to do is to be artificial with it. And if you have a proposition that's easy for people to hear, to memorize, it's rhetorically pleasant, aesthetically pleasant to the ear, then yes, say it again and again and again. Good question. Any other questions before we, that, that was what I wanted to cover just quickly in about 15 minutes there before we get to our, uh, our workshop. Um, any other questions before we do our workshop? Okay, so what you wanna do is use your prop, use your main points, look at your text and ask, what parts of the text do I want to explain and how can I use different methods of explanation in this text? That's what you wanna ask. What parts of the text do I want to explain and how can I use different methods? So you're, you're weeding out something. You're saying I don't, or, or uh, Sammy has more of like a text topical sermon type, for instance. So like his first main point is what is the gospel? And that proves his proposition. So Sammy, for, for his, he can, he can ask what, what parts of the gospel do I want to mention? Or where, where else in Galatians do I see that? Where do I in Galatians do I see the gospel defined? And then from there, wh what can I explain? So the, those are the kind of things you need to be asking is, is what explanation for the purpose of proving the prompt, for the purpose of serving the pastoral needs of the sermon, what parts of the text do I need to explain? And by process of elimination, I'm weeding out and nothing else needs to be explained. Nothing else needs to be explained except for these things. I'm not gonna to touch on the other elements of the text. Does that make sense what we're doing now? Yeah. Good. So this, this shouldn't be as hard, um, but let's do, let's do 20 minutes. Let's do 20 minutes. If we need more time, we can, we can extend it. 20 minutes, work with your text, work with your partners and uh, okay. Um, so yeah, work with your partner, your group, work with your text by yourself and we'll come back in 20 minutes. So we'll make that 140. We'll come back and then we'll talk about your explanation points and how those explanation points are going to prove your, your proposition and your main points. Okay, guys, let's, let's go ahead and come back together now. Look, so several of you have sent me your stuff. I think that's probably a good time to anyone who wants to go over it. We can go over your um, your explanation points together, or if you have a question about something earlier, happy to help you out with that as well. Josh, yes, uh, I have a question. Mm -hmm. uh, 
do you want to explain our main point right yes so yeah so what parts of the text do you need to talk about to prove your proposition and to prove your main point that's what you're asking yeah but uh, i think to, to to describe and to explain our main point we have to study and we have to explain or we have to exegete the text mm -hmm. that's right that's exactly right that's what we're talking about right now most of us uh, especially on the back line most of us are <laughs> uh, yeah we can't exegete our text uh, in this time because it's short you can't your te your text are oh gotcha you. so you're start but uh, yes so no. i'm not what i'm not saying is you need to exegete your entire text right now i'm saying what parts of the text do you plan on studying more so that you will exegete them that that's what i'm saying so for instance um emmanuel let me pull up your i think yours was something like uh yeah so how do we see god's compassion how do we see God's compassion towards sinners? So if I were you, I would, I would probably walk through, I'd walk through the parable, tell the story of the parable, set the context, walk through the parable. How do we see God's compassion towards sinners? Well, let's look first at the younger brother. So if we do that, then um, you could, I would start in verse 20. So I would say to explain God's compassion towards the younger brother, I am going to use verses 20 through 24. Bam, that's it. That's all you're doing. You're just identifying that. And then if you want to say, okay, I want to identify God's compassion towards the older brother. What, um, what verses would I use? Well, let me use verses 30 and 31. Right? Um, so although the older brother is accusatory towards the father well look at this uh look what all that is mine is yours right he's not withholding from the older brother he's just as compassionate he's just as kind his heart for the older brother is the same as his heart for the younger brother bam you did it that doesn't i'm not telling you need to exegete your entire text right now i'm saying what verses will you use to explain your points does that make sense yes now we understand Sounds good, man. Dude, you should have asked me that question 35 minutes ago. <laughs> so you can work more on that later. We, we don't have time for you to spend another half hour doing that. But that's that's basically what you're doing, right? So if you're if you're Yisakor and you're looking at Revelation 5, um, do you need to talk about the right hand? Right? You you have to spend time probably not. You probably don't, right? You probably don't have to talk about it's a scroll that has this written on the front and the back. You probably don't need to talk about that, right? You're asking, what points do I need? What, what verses do I need? What phrases will I use to explain the king is needed? There's a king needed. Okay. What, what phrases will I explain to say the king is presented? Right. So probably, probably not um you probably don't need to explain who the four living creatures are and who the 24 elders are you need to explain um that he he is able to take the the scroll 
you can explain um, the lamb symbol or the lion symbolism. You can explain the lamb symbolism that the way he becomes the, the lion is through his death. Um, you could probably explain the seven horns and the seven eyes and how that relates to his kingship things like that, right? So you're, you're just saying like, what, what parts of the text am I going to explain, which then narrows your focus so that you're, you're saying, I don't have to explain all the others. Thank you, Josh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I understand what you're saying? Thank you, that's helpful. But can, can I do it later on? Because I, I can't write my sermon in this kind of <laughs> context. I've yeah, been, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not asking you to write your whole sermon right now. I'm just asking you to be aware. What verses do I need to explain? That's all. And, and you can, I'm, and I'm not saying that everything's done. Like, you can't go back and revisit this. Like, you can go back and redo your prop if you want to after the whole class is over, right? It's not like this is written in stone. You know, I'm just giving you the context to think through it. So you want me to do, uh, to explain a verse or two? I, all no i'm not asking you to even explain verses right now i'm asking you to just look at the text and ask what verses do i need to explain what verses do i need what phrases what verses do i need to explain to get this done so do i do i need to explain the harp the golden bowl full of incense which are the prayers of the saints maybe maybe you just need to decide that is that gonna be a distraction from what you're trying to say because remember, a, a sermon is not a running commentary. A sermon is trying to have the text serve the pastoral needs of the church. So I'm trying to narrow my focus. What parts of the text serve my proposition? What parts of the text distract me from my proposition? Yeah, so this is just like every other workshop, right? So you're, you're thinking through it, trying to do the best you can with it, and then we'll talk about it together if you want some help with it. Happy to do that with you. So you just one minute. I've seen. Okay. Yep. I got it. Let me see here. Rejoice in suffering. Why are you rejoicing in suffering? Sharing Christ. Do not be surprised. Good. Yep. Yeah. Don't be surprised, right? Because Christ often suffered. The God meant suffer. Why should not? Good. That's exactly right. And you're using an example of Jesus in the garden. That's That's perfect. Nothing strange is happening to you. Rejoice if you're repeating that. Sharing in Christ, suffering the nuance. We're not atoning for our sins. That's that's perfect, and that doesn't that doesn't require like a lengthy explanation either. That can be a a, a quick nuance. What I don't mean is we're atoning for our sins. What I do mean is that as we, as the body of Christ, suffer, we experience what Christ experienced. Something like that, right? So rejoice and be glad. Good. When his glory is revealed, the second coming of Christ, good. You are blessed. Entire suffering. Mistaken. You are blessed, and the Spirit of God is with you. I'm not sure how that Fits comes from. Yeah, I'm not sure how that. If that's the main point that you're trying to make, I'm not sure how being blessed, or unless you're saying that it's a, it's a good thing to suffer like christ suffered if that's the case that's that's more application um but just make sure whatever part of the text you're explaining you're explaining the main point so the main point to 
being purified in suffering to test you. God's purifying us. Good, good. And then you have a cross-reference. Fantastic. Righteous is going to be saved. Good. Yeah. And you don't spend as much time there. And you shouldn't. I, I really, that, that, it doesn't, that, that second one doesn't serve your, your purpose as much. So then if God is faithful, so entrust your soul to him. He's the creator, described as sovereignty. Good. If he's sovereign, then he can be faithful. God is faithful, described covenant faithfulness. Good. Covenant faithfulness. Suffering servants will show his faithfulness. My friend, I think, I think this is great. This is exactly what we're looking for, right? So you're thinking through what parts of the text am I going to explain? What parts am I not going to explain? And you've thought through how to say it a few different ways. What parts do you need to nuance? What parts do you need to uh, cross-reference? This is great, my friend. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, guys, so we're talking about the elements of a sermon's body, right? So we've talked about explanation, which is answering the question, where do you get that, right? Where do you get that in the, in the text? And explanation serves the purpose of application. Um, but there are times, there are times that we need illustrations also. There are times we need illustrations. So illustrations simply look at the idea from another angle, you simply ask, what's another way of saying that? Not an explanatory way, uh, but that serves the explanatory purpose of the sermon or serves the applicatory purpose of the sermon. So, so it seeks to, through, through stories, through pictures, through quotations, things like that, help give, uh, help make better connections between the text and the audience or between the application and the audience. So it, it helps me when I'm illustrating explanation, it helps me understand difficult cultural things, understand difficult phrases, right? It's just another tool for explanation when we use illustrations or if it's illustrating an application, then it shows me how the application can be done. First of all, I hope you're not the kind of person that you have to edit out that kind of content. You have to think, do I tell this story or not? Hopefully, hopefully you're never in the boat that you wonder. It would it be appropriate to tell a story about me punching a kid in the chest? Uh, probably not. But if you ever are, don't. All right, we'll talk about we'll talk about what's appropriate, and what's not appropriate for illustrations. But first, let's talk about why we illustrate. Why do we illustrate? And let's start with why we don't. Why we don't. We to entertain. <laughs> yeah, to entertain. That's exactly right. Yeah, we. This is not about entertaining. Um, when when we when we do it to entertain, people feel manipulated. People often feel manipulated. We we end up losing their trust. If if we just get up there and start telling jokes or silly stories that seem unrelated. Or even if they are related, they're, they're done in such a way that it feels whimsical. A lot of times it just sets low expectations for the rest of the sermon. People, people begin to wonder, where are we going with this? Will, it, will we go anywhere helpful? Hopefully my YouTube videos haven't done that to you. Hopefully you haven't thought, no, I thought, I thought Josh had good stuff. Now I'm convinced that he doesn't. No, um, we, we don't do it to entertain. Um, we don't do it to manipulate either, right? So I, I gave the example earlier of the, the preacher who 
told an overly emotional story about the kid having the explosion in his face, right? We, we, don't, we don't do it to manipulate people's emotions. We don't do it to entertain. Uh, another one is to, to give people a break or a breath of air. I hear, I've heard this often before too. We, we illustrate because people are just, the sermon is hard to get through, you know, it's just a lot of explanation, a lot of explanation. And the illustrations just kind of give people an opportunity to breathe in the sermon. Like the, the uh, it gives people an opportunity to turn their brains off for a moment and just to kind of hear a, a funny story. Um, now, now, can it serve a purpose like that? Does it engage different parts of our brains? It absolutely engages different parts of our brains, but we don't schedule illustrations, you know, every seven minutes because uh, adult attention spans are low. And so every seven minutes we need to put an illustration in. I, I've been part of a preaching class where I've been taught to do something like that before. That's not the purpose of illustrations. And in fact, you can probably have a good sermon that has no illustrations. You don't have to have illustrations. You can, and they help, but they only help when they're appropriate. So then why do we do illustrations? Um, does, it, does anyone remember what Brian Chapel said? What's the primary reason? To support our idea. Uh, now that is, now that's certainly a good reason. That's not what he gives. Does anyone remember what he said? Illustrate, illustrate, and then uh, apply. Yeah, so I, I do think I do think that that's the reason, or that is a good reason. But Dr. Chapel, for instance, says we he, we do it to motivate. He says we do it to motivate, which I think is part of it. I think that's part of it. So illustrations help connect emotionally with people, right? Stories connect emotionally with people in ways that explanation doesn't. It gives examples of what it looks like to live this kind of life. It gives, it gives emotional, it lets people get emotionally connected with you, with your message. But I think if we stop there, there is this, it leaves more to be desired. Um, Really, what we do is we, we want to make the text clear. Or we can say we want to make the text more clear. That's why we illustrate. We illustrate because there are parts of the text that are difficult to understand. And we don't think explanation alone properly helps the audience understand what we're saying. There's, there's more that could be said. There's more, there's, there's more ways we could talk about it. So an example of this, an example might be, um, you know, if we're, if we're talking about, uh, oh, I think, I think I used this example in your, um, in your hermeneutics class. If we're talking about the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, we, we might, uh, people might not understand fully what the connotations of being a Pharisee or a tax collector are. So we could explain, right? A Pharisee, that's, I mean, that's a religious leader. This is somebody who knows the Bible inside and out. If anyone had a relationship with God, it was them. Okay, that's explanation. 
and a, a tax collector. And this is somebody who was thought low of in society. They were thought to have stolen. You know, they would come to your door and demand more. They would, they would demand that you would give more even than the government asked for. Okay, sure. But, but and that's explanation. Now I can explain the text further with an illustration by saying it's, it's like the story of the, if, if we were to say this in modern terms, it'd be like the story of the pente and the secular music artist. Okay, now, I, now you explain it in a way that I, I get what you're saying now, right? You have the, or you could even say the seminary professor and the, and the secular music artist, you know, the, the, the person who should be um, at the top of their spiritual game and the person who we think of as the lowest of the low when it comes to um, their spiritual life, right? So I'm excited that quick illustration helps drive home the point. I'm using it as an explanatory tool. I'm not using it just to tell stories. So we do it to make the text more clear. We also do it, we want to make the application more clear. We want to make the application more clear. And, and part of this is motivating. This is, part of this can be done to motivate. Um, when I, when I was preaching um, at Trinity uh, back in the summer, I believe, I, I was, I was uh, when I, I, I'll give two examples. One is David Livingston. So I was preaching about the need to, my, my, my prop that I was using was um, work faithfully for the progress of the kingdom and wait patiently for the fullness of the kingdom. Work faithfully, wait patiently. Work faithfully, wait patiently. And I was saying that several times. Then I gave an example where David Livingston um, worked faithfully on the mission field of India for six years before he saw his first convert. And then he baptized that convert. And I gave a quotation from his journal where he was convinced that if, if, if God's divine power could save one man, it could save a hundred thousand. And then he quoted the text that I was preaching. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And then I finished that illustration by saying, this is an example of working faithfully and waiting patiently for six years. He saw no fruit, but he waited and he worked and he was faithful. So, so that, that makes the application more clear. Right? I'm, I'm illustrating the application. And then, I'm, and then by consequence, I'm motivating. Uh, people, people are like, that, I want to be like that. Right? It's, just not, it's not this abstract idea of working faithfully and waiting patiently. I know it's concrete. I have a story in mind. And that's what people are going to walk away with is that story. Oh, that David Livingston story. I want to be like that. Um, another, another example is... Uh, I use an example of a marriage conflict when I was preaching a sermon from Leviticus 10 on coming to God only through Christ, not anything in us. And I, I told a story about um, you know, a husband and a wife who had a conflict. Um, she became angry. He became, he, he, he kept his cool. He never got angry. She, she storms into another room and, and he just sits on the couch and, and he sits there and he thinks, man, our marriage needs help right now. And, 
and I, I really feel like I can pray to God right now because I did not get angry. I kept my cool. I, I did a good job. I, I didn't get angry like my wife. And so now let me, let me pray to God about our marriage. Well, what's, what's he trusting? And he's trusting in his works to give him access to God instead of Christ. Right. And then I gave, and then I said, she, on the other hand is, is in the bedroom, maybe crying. And she's thinking, Oh my goodness, our marriage needs help. And I wish that I could pray, but I can't pray because I just got angry. And if and God won't accept, God won't hear my prayer because I just got angry at my husband. And then I said, what's, what's the problem for both of them? The problem for both of them is that they're looking to their works instead of to Christ to give them access to God. Both the husband who didn't get angry and the wife who did. I, I, I think I asked the question, which of them has more access to God right now? Which of them has more access to God? Neither. Neither has more access to God because both of them, because they're Christians, can come to God through Christ. So, so that's that's making an application point more clear. So you can do it to make an to make a, a explanation point more clear, or to make an application point more clear. Um. So when once we understand that that's the purpose of illustration, um, we can ask when do we illustrate. When do we illustrate? We illustrate either for explanation or application, but we do it to, to make our point more clear. We do it to make our application point more clear or our explanation point more clear. Not for the purpose of telling a funny story, not for the purpose of entertaining, not because we want to, uh, to grab people's attention again. We do it to make our point more clear. It serves... The application point of the sermon it serves the explanation point of the sermon any questions on that if not we'll get into practicals for how do we illustrate okay so how do we illustrate how do we illustrate let's talk first about how to introduce an illustration and so this is in your presentation. And again, most of this, most of this comes from Dr. Chapel and his excellent book. I, I kind of, most of this course is kind of a, a blend between Dr. Chapel, Jeff Perswell, and some of my own ideas. Um, but, but he, he suggests that you, you fit it into, you, you, you illustrate like this. If it's an explanation illustration, you do, you do your explanation, you illustrate, and then you can make a final explanation or a final explanatory comment. Okay, so um, I'll give you an example of this. I was, uh, was preaching a sermon on the love of Christ from Ephesians, into Ephesians 3, um, and I was, I was making the point that... Uh, Oftentimes, the, I think the reason we don't experience the love of Christ um, or we don't feel the love of Christ is because we feel like it's too good to be true. It's so amazing. We feel like it's too good to be true. And I use an example from the Chronicles of Narnia 
the voyage of the non treader. Um, so I, I talked about how we feel like it's too good to be true sometimes. Now I'm giving an illustration where they, they get to an island. And once they arrive at the island, there's this massive feast prepared around a table and no one sitting at the table is just full of empty chairs. And they think, oh my goodness, this looks like the most amazing feast. It's the most amazing food. I wonder who this could be for. What they end up finding out later is that it was the, the feast was prepared for them, but they didn't eat it because they thought it was too good to be true. And then follow that up. Now I'm back to explanation, a final explanation point. Do we feel like that with the love of Christ sometimes? I'm, I'm making the point explicit. I'm not just telling a story, I'm making it explicit. Do we feel like that with the love of Christ sometimes? That we think there's no way it's for me. Well, let me tell you the, the entrance fee is free and it is available and open and it is spread for every believer. Something like that. So it's good. It's helpful to explain, illustrate, explain, or apply, illustrate, apply. So it's, it's helpful to sandwich it. So your point is, is uh, a little bit easier to understand. Um, now, on that, it's helpful, it's helpful to use complete stories. So it's helpful to use complete stories. So if you, if you are using a story, especially maybe a story about yourself or a story about someone who is in a bad situation, something like that, maybe, uh, maybe you tell a story about uh, a family camping outing or something where something negative happens there's some kind of conflict in the story you don't want to end the illustration before the conflict is resolved even if the resolution of the conflict isn't the point of your story so so for instance maybe you tell a story about um your father and maybe maybe you're you're making an application illustration you're talking about um being faithful to christ in suffering and you tell a story about your father who was diagnosed with cancer and, and um, in his cancer diagnosis, he found that uh, it may, maybe like he was going in, or no, let's do a heart surgery. Your father needed heart surgery. He goes in to the doctor into surgery and the doctor had very low hopes of him surviving the surgery. And your father found nearness to Christ in that, right? And as he was going to that heart surgery, not sure if he would make it out, um, he felt that his prayers were more fervent than ever. Into the illustration. Well, what's everyone thinking? What's everyone thinking in the audience? Did he live? <laughs> That's what everyone's thinking. Did, are you saying your father died? Well, you can complete the story, even though the story isn't part of your what you're illustrating. You can say, and, and by God's mercy, he made it out of the surgery alive. Uh, and he would tell you today that that was a time he felt especially near to God in the moment of uncertainty. Yeah. You finish the story so that people, you don't leave people hanging, people wondering um, what, what ended up happening to people in the story. Um, so use, use complete stories would be in, in some advice. Don't make ourselves the heroes of the story. Don't make yourself the hero of the story. So if your if you're illustrations if you're if you're illustrating this is a one thing that i i stick with if i'm using an illustration and i am the subject of the illustration uh, i am always put in a negative light never in a positive light i always i always make fun of myself um 
I, I don't make myself the hero of the story. Or if I do, I, I tend to preface it with the awkwardness of it. Um, or, or even say something like, no, you know me, I, I, I try not to use myself in illustrations, but I think that this is a good example. And then you can, you can use yourself. I think Michael did that the other day uh, with one of his sermons when he talked about uh, his prayer journal and how prayer helped him get clarity on a certain trial or situation. Um, but he prefaced it by saying, um, by saying now, now I, I try not to make myself the subject of these illustrations uh, for a reason, but I think this is a helpful explanation. Um, another one is don't, don't use our children too much. Brian and James, uh, it's, it's very easy to want to use your kids in the illustrations. And the problem with that is people who don't have kids don't relate and no one cares about your kids as much as you do. You might think that people care about your kids. You might think that people should care about your kids, but the reality is you care more about your kids than anyone else in the room. And they are going to get bored if you keep telling stories about your kids all the time. Uh, make sure it doesn't get too long. So I, I think it's always good to manuscript your illustrations. If you're, if you're telling a story, you want to make sure you tell the parts of the story that need to be told and nothing more. So you say what you're going to say, you make the point, you don't say anything else. Um, so you can manuscript it. And then it's good to, it's good to tell the story, not reading it, just tell the story. But if you manuscript it first, you know what parts of the story you're going to mention, you know what parts of the story you're not going to mention. Um, and uh, that, that ensures that a 30 second illustration doesn't become a five minute illustration. And all of a sudden uh, now, now you don't have as much time to apply the text because you took, you just took too long with that illustration. Um, now what you, another thing, be careful what you reveal. Be careful what you reveal in illustrations also. Um, so we could say, be careful what you reveal about others. Be careful what you reveal about others. So when you talk about other people in illustrations, uh, it's all, you, you should always ask their permission first. You should always ask their permission first. If you're going to talk about someone and name them, you should always say, do you mind if I tell this story? Would you, would you, even if it's a good story, because what you don't want is someone to be embarrassed, even if they're the hero of the story. If it's your, your wife, your children, if it's someone in the church, if it's even you know, a pastor or something like that, you, you should come to them and say, I think this is a good illustration. I think this is going to help people. Would you mind if I put this in the sermon? And, and hardly ever will someone say no. Or if they do say no, you can ask them, would well, you mind if I, if I use this as an illustration without naming you? Is that okay? Well, sure, that's fine. Most people are fine with that. Um, so that's, that's if somebody is in the audience that you're using as an example, but even, even if someone's not in the audience, you want to be careful. Um, you want to be careful that you, you want to be careful who might listen to the sermon, especially if it's recorded or if someone hears about an illustration. So I'll give an example. I, I had a friend who preached a sermon and, uh, he used 
he used a, an illustration about, I think he was illustrating something about an unwanted gift. And uh, he used the illustration about how in his, uh, when he got married, um, him and his wife received a gift of a, a little garden angel. This is something you need to understand about, especially, especially white people, not just Americans, but white Americans. Uh, I, I don't know why this is. James, might, James is from a part of the country that likes these things more than the part of the country that I'm from. But, but they like to put uh, like junk in their yard. And when I say junk, I mean like a gnome, um, uh, a, uh, I don't know, like, this is an example of like a garden angel. Like it's like a stone angel, um, like, a, like a, a cheap plastic fountain, maybe even like a, a plastic ball. I don't know what, James, help me out here. What am I, do you, have you observed this about your part of the country? You'd love this, Josh, a little flagpole that says blessed. Yes, yes, a flagpole that says blessed. Yeah, Think, things like that. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why they like put in their front yard. They just like put in their front yard. It's just a bunch of junk. And then you get to some neighborhoods where, I mean, it's just like to the nth degree. Like I've, I've walked through neighborhoods in the U.S. and it's always, it's always white people. It's always white people. And they, they'll have like, 20 like of like little garden gnomes in their front yard and they're all like this tall and they're just everywhere in the entire front yard it's like why why do you have such like this is just this is junk anyway so this guy in my class was telling he told me this story about how he got a garden angel it was a statue of an angel you know like this naked baby angel with like a bow and arrow and someone gave that to him as a wedding present to put in his front yard. Now he's the kind of guy who he, he doesn't want a bunch of junk like this in his front yard. And he definitely doesn't want a naked little baby angel in his front yard. And so he was telling the story about how he got this present. And, and he thought, this is the stupidest gift I've ever got. I will never use it. What are they thinking? And so, you know what I did with the gift? We had a, a, a gift exchange with some people in our church and I gave it to someone as a joke because it was so bad. I knew that I didn't want it. I knew the other person didn't want it. I gave it to them as a joke and now they had to figure out what to do with it. Well, the bad news was the person who gave him that angel listened to the recording of the sermon. <laughs> and he found out because one of his friends said, hey, they listened to the sermon. You need to call them and talk to them about this because now they are angry. Okay, so you, just, you want to be careful when you use others in your illustrations that's a that's an awkward it's an awkward place for everyone to be in um when when you use your wife when you use your wife in illustration this is something I, I don't know if this is a problem in your culture this is a problem in my culture people will say and this was in the ignatius video i showed you people will say my beautiful wife my smoking hot wife my attractive wife i I, I personally have a bit of an, an allergy towards that because immediately as someone, as soon as someone says that everyone in the crowd starts evaluating whether or not he's right about that statement, right? <laughs> it just, it just, it's an awkward moment for everyone involved. Um, so I try to shy away from objectifying my wife in public <laughs> uh, she feels uncomfortable the audience feels uncomfortable no one is benefited from that um <laughs> when you uh yes 
Do you think there are some uh, passage in the scripture that we don't uh, preach, like Matthew 10, 13, that says, uh, even your hair in your head is counted, if we preach it in our church? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> so use, use Michael as an example, yeah. Or you might, you might, if you have a, a church of, of only bald people, you might need to use an illustration. Now, now I know none of you are familiar with this, but there's a thing called hair. Let me tell you about hair, right? Yeah. Or you could even tell Michael. Um... <laughs> even Mikey might offend it. Right, yeah, Mikey might be greatly offended. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, um, so counseling situations. So you'll be a pastor and you'll have plenty of counseling situations in your church. I have, I have plenty of moments of good and bad counseling situations. If you use a sermon illustration of a pastoral, uh, or I, I was watching a video the other day, um, there was a pastor and he used a negative example of a church member, even though he didn't name the church member. So he said, you know, uh, I preached the sermon and then one member from my church walked up afterwards and said this to me. And I thought um, that is, that is un unhelpfully dogmatic. That's unhelpfully dogmatic. And he uses a negative example for then where he went on to explain his point. The problem with that, the problem with that, even if you don't name the person is you, you set a tone where people are now worried to talk to the pastor. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to be the next one who's used in an illustration. I don't want to be the next one that the pastor talks about, or even what is the pastor thinking about me when he, when I come and talk to him, is he evaluating me? Is he judging me? Am I going to end up in illustration? Even if all the details are changed, am I going to end up being talked about in an illustration? Um, so be careful what you reveal about others. Um, I, I think also about yourself. Be careful what you reveal about yourself as well. So we want to be transparent people. Um, I've, I, I think that it can often be effective when you use illustrations of your own struggles with sin. I think that can be effective means of illustration. But what you don't want to do is people get out of the illustration and they think, why are we paying this guy? <laughs> We, we don't want them to think uh, th this guy is the least qualified person to be a pastor, even if in, out of humility, you say things that, um, that can be, that, that maybe are exaggerated out of an expression of humility. Um, you don't want people leaving thinking uh, my pastor is um, a terrible, terrible, terrible person. Yeah. If you use yourself as a negative example in illustration, um, be careful. Be careful what you reveal about yourself, especially, I think, when you talk about your pre-conversion life. So there, there, I think there are some things which can be discussed in private conversations that probably should not be addressed from the pulpit when you talk about your pre-conversion life. If, if there are embarrassing sin stories or shameful sin stories, it's not that we don't want to walk in the light. It's not that we would never share these kinds of things. But it is that there are some things that if you're not in a private conversation can be misunderstood um, or especially if heard by the wrong person, maybe there's a visitor there that, that day and, and you talk about pre-convergence and struggles that you had, it, it can sometimes be unhelpful for people.
um, next. When uh, here's a caution. When you use other people's illustrations, a caution when you use other people's illustrations. So, so if you hear a sermon and you hear a good illustration from that sermon, can you use it? Yes, yes, absolutely. You can. You can. You can. Oh, that's that's a helpful story. I'm going to use that story myself now. If if it's not about you, don't pretend like it is about you. Uh, like you can say. This, this pastor used this example from his own life. Um, if, you're, if you're at all following the, the plagiarism stories in the SBC right now, you'll know that there are several preachers who you all use the same illustration as if they were the ones who did it. And that has caused people to scratch their heads and say, who was the one who wrote this illustration originally? <laughs> well, what you don't want is to tell a story as if it's your own, if it's not your own. Um, and, and be careful, <clears throat> be careful to make sure you understand the illustration. Be careful to be sure if you use someone else's illustration that you understand what's being said, okay? So I'll, I'll, use, I'll use an example. Uh, I was listening to a pastor preaching once and he was talking about this. <clears throat> I mean, it was a very moralistic sermon and he was talking about the need for Christians to dress nicely the need for Christians to dress nicely. It's legalistic. It wasn't from the text, but his whole sermon was about how Christians need to dress nicely. And he used an illustration where he said that if he goes to the hospital to visit a sick church member, <clears throat> if he goes to the hospital to visit a sick church member, they won't let him in the room unless he wears a collar. If he wears a collar, then he'll be able to get into the hospital room. And what he thought he meant by that was having a shirt with a collar on it, right? As, as opposed to a t-shirt like what I'm wearing right now. Uh, I was sitting there listening to it and I immediately thought he was listening to a Catholic priest, uh, someone who's high, maybe a high church Presbyterian, maybe an Anglican, somebody who wears that little white strip. <laughs> that is, clearly this is not his illustration. He took it from someone else and he did not even understand what the person was saying in the illustration. That's fine to use someone else's illustration, but be careful you actually understand what they're talking about. Um, an, another caution. When, when you talk about science, literature, etc. Make sure you're accurate. Don't talk about things you don't understand. Don't talk about things you under, don't understand as if you understand them because if you talk about using an illustration from science and you clearly have no clue what you're talking about and you simply are using someone else's illustration and you act like you, you, you talk about it authoritatively um, and there's someone there who maybe has studied science for a while and they think, well, if I can't, this is, this is, this is how people come out of it. They think if I can't trust him to talk about earthly things, how can I trust him to talk about heavenly things? Right. We're, we're trying to build repertoire with people and when our, uh, there can, these are examples of how our illustrations do the opposite of that. And we want to be careful, be careful not to do that. Um, a caution about pop culture. Talking about pop culture references. So, so 
our desire might be to resonate with people about what we talk about. We want to be careful, though, that we actually understand the pop culture reference we're making. <laughs> um, I, I've seen plenty of cringe moments where people quote song lyrics or they quote movies, and it's very clear they've never listened to the song. They've never watched the movie. I was watching one. Oh, this is so, this is, it makes me, I don't even want to say this because it's so cringeworthy. Um, one pastor uh, who is talking about how Christ is worthy of our lives. And he, and he says, I you know there's this song by this band called Fifth Harmony and it's called, give it to me. I'm worth it. And, and Jesus says that, give me your life. I'm worth it. <laughs> and he, he, he clearly doesn't understand the song. <laughs> he clearly doesn't even understand the band <laughs> that he's quoting either. He, he understands nothing about it. It just is an embarrassing moment for everyone there. Um, so, so I like, I've coined the, the phrase, the John Piper principle. The John Piper principle. If you think about who is the least relevant preacher, maybe in like the history of, of, um, any preacher I've ever listened to. Who's the least relevant person? It's probably John Piper. John Piper is incredibly, uh, he, he is not relevant in the slightest. You know, he's not relevant. He doesn't watch the latest movies. He, uh, if you look at his clothing, he's not relevant. If you even look at the, the way he uses his language, he's not relevant. But young people love him. Young people love him because he's himself. He's authentic. He doesn't pretend to be someone he's not. And, and so often, oftentimes, just being who we actually are, um, not pretending to be someone we're not, is much more effective than, than trying to pretend we, we're the most relevant uh, people. Um, be, careful, be careful what you describe also. Don't, don't describe things that would be embarrassing for people and be, be aware of uh, when, when I say that, don't, don't talk about gross details, right? So if you're, if you're talking about a, a horrific historical event as an illustration, don't, don't give gross details about that. Don't give undesirable details. If you're, uh, you probably don't want to use an illustration about changing a diaper and you give un, undesirable Ill, uh, details about that. Um, and think not just about your generation, think about the older people in the room as well. So there'd be some things that would certainly be offensive to older people that wouldn't be as offensive to younger people. You want to make sure you're, um, you're just appealing to everyone in the room and not being a turnoff to anyone there. Um, be honest, be honest in your illustrations. Don't add details that aren't true. Don't tell stories that aren't true. Don't, uh, don't make yourself the hero when you actually weren't the hero. Um, so those are some principles for illustrations um, for how we illustrate um, or what kinds of illustrations do we use. Any questions on that? I mean, you've got to address, you've got to address what's going on if you want it to be serious or maybe even adjust the way that you're, you're doing it. But uh, so John Piper would be of the opinion that 
um, at least this last I read up on his opinion on humor uh, in the pulpit, that, that humor is not appropriate, that the, the pulpit is a very serious place, not a, not a light place, and so we shouldn't ever joke. Um, my, my opinion on that is that when, when the Bible uses humor, it uses it to, to prove a theological point or it uses it to prove a point. It doesn't use humor sparingly. It doesn't use humor without intent. Uh, and I think that our illustrations can do the same. So, so I'll give you an example of that. You, you remember the story of, of Eglon, the fat king uh, in Judges, where Ehud comes and stabs him with the sword and everyone thinks that he's uh, in the bathroom because there's a bad smell that's coming out all the while Eglon escapes. And it makes a big deal about how fat that he is. He's so fat that the sword goes into his stomach and, Eg and Ehud can't even pull it out. And it, it makes a, a point of his bowels bursting open when it, when it happens. And the guards stand outside the room embarrassed, right? It's a very, it's a very funny story. It's like a, it's a very uh, humorous story for the purpose of, of making fun of the king um, for the, the purpose of showing that these, it, it, it paints the king in an embarrassing light, a, a humorous embarrassing light for the, to prove a theological purpose. So I think, and I think that Jesus does similar things too. I think that there are, there are times to use humor, but our point isn't to make people laugh. Um, I, I, okay. I'll, I'll give you an example. I know I've talked about a lot of my sermons, but uh, go back to Ephesians three. Um, I used humor in my illust opening illustration for this one. Um, so the first thing I did was I, I read the text, I prayed, I read the text, and then I, I, I said something brief about how this, this might be the loftiest of all Pauline prayers, and, and perhaps the, the, the loftiest language of all Pauline prayers. And then I, and then I, um, I asked like a question, like, do you, do you ever pray like this? I, I certainly don't pray like this. In fact, and then I gave an illustration. What if you, what if you went to lunch after church and you met someone who goes to a different church, and you asked them how was your service today, and they said it was amazing. Let me tell you what happened. The Spirit strengthened us. Christ dwelt in our hearts, and we were filled with all the fullness of God. And I, I, I just asked, what, what do you think happened at that sermon? What, what, what do you think happened at that service? Like, what comes to mind? You, if you're, in, and then I kept making fun of myself throughout it. And I kept saying like, if you're anything like me, you probably think that there was endless prophecies endless, everyone was speaking in tongues. Someone might even been raised from the dead. There's this charismatic chaos happened. And the pastor probably got up when it was time to preach the sermon. And he said something like, well, I guess there's no time for the sermon today because of all of those charismatic experiences. So go ahead and go home. And you might, you might even be concerned that you might need to help your friend find a new church based on that. And I just kind of, you know, I, I, I acknowledge the awkwardness of some of the language here uh, for the purpose of breaking the ice. And then for the purpose of then asking the question, so what, is, what does Paul mean when he says this? And then that kind of drew our attention down to being able to talk about it. I, I think, I think times like that, it's, it's okay to use humor. Um, to prove your point, but you're not being funny for the purpose of being funny. Good question, James. Any other questions about that? Oh, go ahead. To follow up with that, it kind of just seems like uh, 
I forget where it was mentioned, but it's like be yourself as your free. Yes. And I think some of it, like even that story of Eglon, I feel like if I was reading that aloud, I would. We just get in this like frame of like Bible reading, like it has to be serious. Mm -hmm. Where like it seems to me like Piper is probably a serious guy. I bet if you had him over for dinner, he'd be serious. Mm-hmm. We're kind of, I feel like I'm not as serious as you Um, With that in, like, yeah. does that make sense? Like, do we have to make sure we're very sober the whole time or can we just kind of ourselves? Yeah. Over? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Being yourself. Um, like like that, that example of humor um, that I use for that illustration, I'm a sarcastic person. And I was being myself when I was being sarcastic. You know, what, what would you, that's a, that's a question that me as a sarcastic person uh, would be thinking if I ever heard somebody say that. So I kind of put you in my shoes. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Just be yourself. Uh, can I go with my questions now? Yeah, maybe what's up? Um, so you were saying like the, be careful of how you describe the Holbrook thing, but don't you think sometimes it's it would serve the sermon intentionally? Uh, for example, like Paul would, would mention rubbish. I don't think people are pleased when he mentions vitro thesis in his expression of how he considers that, and he intentionally brings that picture to mind in a way kind of to make them relate how much of a distaste you have for that so it's not pleasant but as long as it serves is it possible to incorporate a vivid pictorial description in the sermon yeah i i think it is um i think it is as long as you're self-aware so, so the examples that I was giving is somebody who's not self-aware using gross things in a sermon and they, they end up finding out later there were people who were embarrassed by that story. You know, if you're, if you're self-aware and, and not over the top for the purpose of making a point and what you don't want to do is be, you don't want to be known as like when people think like this is even 10 years later. When people think Mark Driscoll, they think the the cursing preacher. Even though I think there was only one time that he cursed from the pulpit. Um, when um, I I don't think I think when I heard someone who was analyzing his sermons, and I think they said there's only one time he did it, but people still think of him as the cursing preacher. Um, and yeah, you just want to be careful to be self aware. <laughs> right as you're doing it and with intent and um know that your reputation's on the line when you when you choose what stories you're going to be telling and for i mean for driscoll when he used that illustration um i mean that stuck with him that stuck with him all of his life i don't think he'll ever get over that good example though maybe very helpful example Let's talk then, let's talk quotations. So an example of a, an illustration can be a quotation. Um, so when, when do we use quotations? I think we use quotations when there's no way I could have told 
when I, there's no way I could have said it better myself. There's no way I could have said it better myself. They say it perfectly. They say it succinctly. Um, and why do you use quotations? You, you don't use quotations because it's, this is a research paper. You use quotations because it helps, because somebody said it better than you ever could. Or if you quote a song, because it helps connect a song people already know to the ideas you're talking about. Um, or it can help. It, there are times, I think, when you're talking about a difficult theological topic that people might not be familiar with, that using a quotation can help build some credibility in what you're saying. You help build credibility in what you're saying. So be aware if it's a particularly difficult theological topic that you can quote somebody who's authoritative on it. And people are like, oh, okay, so my pastor isn't the only one who thinks this. That's good. George, um, yes. I have a quick um, mm -hmm. how how can we uh, quote some something uh, controversy things for example when I use my example my sermon like I I was uh, encouraged the people to see uh, to hope the new heaven so. Uh, but uh, as you know, the prosperity gospel, it will stick the people in this earth. So how can I use that uh, controversy in my sermon? Um, how can you use that controversy in your sermon? I, I, th I think you can do it like you just said, right? I mean, that's an illustration. It's an illustration and it, it when, engages people immediately. When can I use the controversies? When, when they're appropriate for serving the pastoral needs of the church. When you, you, don't, you don't want to be the person who is always mentioning controversies, but when there's a pastoral need to mention that, when there are, uh, when it helps your proposition to mention it, that's when you can mention it, I think. I ask you this because here, even some healthy church, they focus on the exposing the controversy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we, we don't want to be known as the people who are always um who are always exposing false teachers. We want to do that, but we don't want to be when people think of our ministries, we want them to think of the gospel. We don't want them to think of apologetics, I don't think. Thank you, Jimmy. Yeah. So then so then how do we use quotations? This is here are some principles. Number one the shorter, the better, the shorter, the better. Um, you don't, you don't, when people are hearing a quotation that's lengthy, they zone out. You, short, quick quotations are good. Um, if you can put the quotation on the screen for longer ones, then that's good also. Or even for shorter ones, if you can put the quotation on the screen, that's good. Um, and since you're, since you're in an, an oral setting or an oral setting for people who are listening, you know, when you're avoiding plagiarism, you, I don't, I don't think you need to be as strict in um, saying, you know, Dr. So-and-so, a PhD from a PhD in New Testament theology once said this. I, I think, I think you can just say something simple, like someone once said, and then give the give the quotation just nodding away from yourself or one author put it this way 
again, this isn't a research paper. You're, you're making it clear that this isn't your material, um, but I don't think you need to be, you don't need to do a citation. You know, on page 596 of uh, N.T. writes Paul and the Faithfulness of God, he says this. You, know, you, you don't need to say that. <laughs> you just, you just, uh, you just, and especially if it's someone like N.T. Wright who would be more controversial. Peter Enns has perhaps one of the best commentaries on Exodus. However, I don't think I would mention his name from the pulpit because of his association with some views of, in the historicity of Adam and Genesis. So for him, I might say something like one author put it this way without mentioning his name, because you want to be careful who people research uh, when you're done. So those are, those are the big ideas, um, how to illustrate the, the, the main thing you want to, the main thing you want to take away is you illustrate for the purpose of explaining your, for the purpose of explaining the text or giving an example of, of the application. That's what you're doing. Illustrations serve your explanation and illustrations serve your application. Any more questions on that before we move to our workshop on illustrations? Yeah, for indirect quotes, like yes. read something from a commentary, get an idea. Yeah. Uh, should we just say it? Like it seemed like if we mentioned every commentary we read, it could come across as just making us look smart. Yes, I think it does. Yeah, I, you don't, I don't think, I mean, it's, it, again, it's not a research paper, it's a sermon. So if you're not directly quoting someone, if you're, if you've received help from a certain commentary, I, th I think what you can do is this. Um, you can say something like, um, especially if you're introducing a series or if you're halfway, halfway through a series, you can say something like, I want to make you guys aware of a certain commentary that's really helped me in my sermon preparation. And then just show the commentary, bring a copy of it, give the author's name, put a picture of it on the screen, something like that. And that's fine. You know, if you're not directly quoting him or using his, his main points every time, if you're just, he, like, he's your go-to guy in understanding the text. I, this is not a research paper, it's a sermon, but you also want to give credit where credit's due. Um, so yeah, I don't think you need to quote every person you read. Um, I don't think you need to even name every person you quote. As long as you're pointing, when you're directly quoting someone or you get an idea from someone else, you're pointing away from yourself and then you're doing your job right, I think. Another question, Josh? Mm-hmm. Most uh, preachers I know and uh, listen in uh, YouTube, they often quote the rap. They, are, they quote who, sorry? Many quotations, they use many. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, for example, if you hear the Kevin Dia, mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of quotations in uh, his sermons. He does, yes. Yeah, I I think go ahead. I do have to quote a lot or I don't think so, no. I, I'm inclined to say the less we quote the better. And when we do quote, we do it strategically. We don't quote because we want people to think that we're smart. We don't quote because 
we want people to know we're well read. We don't quote because we want to tell people that there are other people who think this or to say you should read this book. We quote because someone says it better than I ever could. That's the main reason we quote. Someone says it better than I ever could. Let me tell you how they say it. And then we use the quotation, I think. Josh, mm -hmm. uh, for, for our context, like uh, here in Ethiopia, we are not that much familiar with the, the church history and the church fathers and like quoting, even quoting Luther would be like something strange for us. And it's not like the, the American culture. You, you get used to the people's, whenever you preach, you mostly quote uh, different church fathers. When it comes to our context, uh, preachers don't frequently quote anyone. And uh, it seems uh, if, if, you, if, you, if we quote someone from just church history, it most probably be from uh, someone from Europe or the States. So they seems, it seems like we uh, abandon our uh, culture and history and they, so what, what do you suggest us? Because I want to, uh, there is not that much sense in our culture of the, the NTA culture that we, it seems like we only have like a hundred year of history, not like we don't lean to, to the church fathers. So what uh, do you suggest us to quote in our sermon? Oh my goodness. That's a humbling question for you to ask. And I, I, think, I think that's a question you guys can talk about tonight in your dorm room and you can talk about it uh, better than I ever could. I think the, the opinions of your brothers are probably better than mine here. Um, my, my inclination would be don't do anything that feels awkward to the people listening to you. Um, and if you want to, if, if you want to see that done more and more, then be, be an agent of someone quoting more and more. Um, if you don't, my friend, I'm, I'm the last one who, who would feel qualified to critique you on that. I, I don't want you to, this is cross-cultural education here. And this is a moment where I, as a, a cross-cultural teacher, um, defer to you and your friends for what you think is best. Thank you. Yeah, you guys should talk about that tonight. My, my overarching principle is don't do something that would be awkward for people. Good. Any other questions? Just a comment. Mm -hmm. I think for me personally, one benefit I've had from quotations, yes, as, as you said, it can be done too much. I think it can also be helpful. One benefit I derive from it is just showing that, you know, these truths that we preach, these truths that we embrace today, they're not new. You know, because for two thousand years I've believed these same truths. So in a sense, it I think it just shows that there's unity in the universal church. That Christians have always believed these same truths. So. In a sense, I think it's also comforting and encouraging to me uh, just to, especially when you quote like preachers from long ago, not just uh, present day uh, theologians. 
And also, I think uh, hearing quotations also helped me to broaden my reading, not just to focus on current books, but also to go back to Puritans, to go back to like even before them. It just helps to broaden our minds, I think. Yeah. Well, well said, my friend. Well said. Yeah. Because I think regardless of where we are in the world, whether we're in China, in Ethiopia, Kenya, I think we are one universal body. So I think it's good to learn from Christians of different ages, different places in the world. I think it's good to learn from them all. Good. I think you're exactly right. Very helpful, my friend, as always. Any other questions about illustrations before we do our illustration workshop? Okay, so in some senses, this is premature because we haven't talked about application yet, but in some senses, we can already do this. Um, so we're take 30 minutes. I want you to think through, you don't even need to know what the illustration is going to be yet, but first look at your text and ask, is there anything that's difficult to understand? Is there anything that's difficult to understand in this text that people reading it the first time would think, well, what is going on? <laughs> What is going on here? And it's important for your arguments, right? I want you to observe in the text, what needs illustrating? You can think to your applications also. Is there anything in my app where I plan to go in my applications that needs illustrating and think through that, okay? So for your, for your final preaching project, you are gonna need to turn in that you've thought through this, what part of the text needs illustrating and, and even a, a, an idea or two of how you could illustrate it. So I want you to start thinking about that. Look at your text. Is there anything in it that's difficult, cross-cultural, um, theologically dense, where um, you could use an illustration? We're not talking about introductions yet. We're not talking about conclusions. We're talking about explanation, especially. And you can start thinking towards application as well. What needs to be illustrated? Um, we got 30 minutes, so until four o'clock, and we'll come back together. But any any, does that, what is, does what I just said make sense? You're just looking at your explanation points, looking at the text, is there anything that needs to be illustrated that would be difficult for people to understand? Or that we can make more clear through illustration. Okay, guys, uh, so let's come back together. Uh, hope you found that helpful. And again, you're, you're not finalizing anything now. You're just trying to think through these categories, you're trying to apply them, you're trying to help your neighbor apply them. Um, any, any questions at all about what we're doing? Is anything unclear when you try to apply it to your text or does anyone wanna give an example? I, uh, is this on? Mikey and I thought of an example for, uh, I don't know if it's good, but we thought of it. Um, when God says, I am love, just trying to understand what that means. It's not saying God is good or God is rock, like a metaphor. It seems more like smog saying, I am fire, I am death. Who's smog? The dragon in the hobbit. Spell it out for me a little bit more. Like when he, it's kind of a 
smog is bad and God's good. But uh, he, when he says, I am death, I am fire, it's like all that is in fire and death is kind of encapsulating who he's saying he is. Which actually makes me realize this isn't a good illustration. I just I would want to think about that more. When you get into categories of doctrine of God, you have to be so careful. I would want to think about it some more. But that's interesting. That is very interesting because we don't normally talk like that. But that is that's very interesting. That's the thing. There's almost nothing. Um, I was trying to think of where where we use like a virtue as someone. Yes. You kind of only can do that with God, so maybe, maybe this. Yeah. I I mean I think I think with that. You can you can you can tell people like this is what we can only speak analogously when we call people good when we call people. Uh, happy when we call people joyful right god is not joyful god is not loving god is love right and that's that's very different than saying god is a loving person god is love so that love is not a divine emotion love is a divine perfection um and again you have to be very careful in how you word that um God does not experience love. Love is not something outside of God that comes over him to make his heart flutter. He doesn't, he doesn't know what it's like to have rises and falls in his emotional state as if love was something that lived outside of him that he taps into somehow. No, God himself is love. So that if love were to cease to exist, God would cease to exist. And if God were to cease to exist, love would cease to exist. Those are the kinds of categories that now the smog example, that's really interesting. I would, again, I would need to think more about that because yeah, we don't talk like that. Everything that is fire is summed up in smog. Everything that is death is summed up in smog. The reason I need to think about it more is because I'm actually tempted to like it. That's why I need to think about it more, but uh, it's also, it's also 8 a.m. and I've been up all night, so my brain isn't firing on all cylinders right now. As you started talking, my concern would be, I think Tolkien with smog is being poetic, and I think God, uh-huh. yeah. I think God, yeah. uh, I don't think smog actually is. Yes, yes, that's, that's certainly true. Um, yeah, that is certainly true. So any, anything we, any way we talk about God is going to be some kind, some kind of analogy. Even when John says God is love, if we think back to our bibliology and prolegomena class, even when John says God is love, it's, it's an analogy, right? Because when we think of love, we think it's not that we can't understand what it means that God is love or we can't understand what love is, but it is true that none of us truly understand in this to the full degree what god means when he says love because we only experience apart from interactions with god we only experience fallen fallen uh, fallen love but yeah interesting man the sun is light 
Um, the sun is heat, but even that is not, those things are, that if the sun disappeared, heat would disappear or light would disappear. So there's, it's, it's more than that. But you can even make an illustrative point to say, you know, it, if the sun went away, there, there would still be artificial light. If God went away, there would be no love. Right? So you can make illustrations like that um, that help people understand what it means that God is love, but it's still it's very complicated. <laughs> it's very hard, but that, I would definitely try to illustrate that in a few different ways, say, say it a few different ways. Good, man, good. Anyone else have something to share or have a question? I just uh, yeah. What's the difference between illustration and uh, example? An illustration and an example. Did we use that in our explanation? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I. I think. I think you could say an example is a form of illustration. There's more to illustrations than that. So illustrations can be quotations, they can be lyrics, they can be examples. But um, if you give an, here's an example of what I mean. And that is an, that can be an illustration. But not every, but not every example is an illustration. Um, so that, you know, some, some examples might be an application. So here's an example of what I mean. So uh, we, we must rejoice in suffering. Uh, an example of what I mean is even when you lose everything, you, know, you, can, you should still rejoice. Even when um, you're misunderstood, you should still rejoice. Now, those are illustrative applications for sure. Um, but yeah, they'd be more than just in describing explanation, I guess is what I'm saying. Good way to think of it. I was uh, thinking about Abraham, the history of Abraham in my uh, gospel illustration. Mm -hmm. And in your gospel illustration, how, how, how would you plan on using that? So one, of, one of my main points is what is the gospel? Mm -hmm. When I define gospel, I define and describe gospel. And uh, give examples as uh, Abraham as an example for someone who, uh, who believed the gospel. Righteousness. I think that's a great illustration. And, and I, I do think that um, scripture itself is an untapped mine of illustrations. Um, one, one illustration that is the, uh, the Puritans would often quote scripture. Um, as illustrations. So, so one from Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, one illustration that he gives. Um, the, the, the famous illustration is like a spider dangling over fire, right? And if the web were to, to break, the spider would fall into the fire. And we, we dangle by less than a spider's web over hell, um, as it were. Like that's, that's, that's the famous one from the sermon, right? Um, but another one that he uses is um, there's the story of King Nebuchadnezzar who, who ordered that the furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be turned seven times hotter um, because his pride was offended that they would not bow before him. And then he says, he says, my friends, how much more so the God of the universe 
if we refuse to bow before him? How much more will he heat the furnace seven times hotter for those who refuse to bow before him? And that, I think that that's a, that's, a good, that's a good way to use Bible stories as illustrations. I think, I think we can use those frequently. So, yeah. Any other questions or examples or you want to share what you are planning on doing? If I use... Yeah, A.B. If I used Second uh, Timothy four three, do you think it would serve to kind of give that the one to hear what their ears are aching, and this is the, the time and age that we live in? Um, yeah. So your your sermon is on the um the 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 foolishness of the gospel in the world's eyes. Uh, we we want to hear what we want and not Christ. Is that right? Yeah, I think you could quote that. I think I would quote verse four also. Um, people wandering off to silly myths. I, I think that's a helpful cross-reference that could even lead into an illustration too. So give that cross-reference and that kind of gives opportunity for an illustration saying, for instance, you know, in our own culture, do we not see this exact same thing happening? Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's really really good, Avi. Well done. I I want to use uh, an illustration of uh, when Jesus calls Matthew, because uh, because the the parable is for the Pharisees. Uh, so how Jesus called Matthew uh, while he were he were uh, a tax collector. Mm -hmm. Can, use, uh, can I use this as an illustration? I, yeah, I think so. I, I think you can. And uh, I think that's a great example. Um, and if you want to, you, you might could even use Nicodemus as well. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee, right? Who Jesus, Jesus shows the same compassion for Nicodemus that he does for Matthew. And even maybe comparing those two accounts to illustrate he's just as compassionate for the tax collector as he is for the Pharisee. The Pharisee's problem is just that he won't take advantage of that mercy and compassion, or he thinks he doesn't need it. Uh, and maybe even quote, you know, Jesus saying, I did not call the, come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Those who are, Jesus uses an illustration when he says, uh, those who are, those who are well do not need a doctor, right? Um, if you, and when we're like the the older brother I, this might not even be one of your explanation points right but this is just an example of jesus says the same thing um i think that's perfect emmanuel and i would i would encourage us to tap into the bible for more illustrations and i think the we talked about this last week when we talked about preaching christ and not just preaching a redemptive historical hermeneutic the more we can use examples of jesus from the gospels the better because that introduces people to the person of Christ and not just a redemptive historical hermeneutic. So I think that's a great example, Emmanuel. Well done.